Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, March 12, 2012, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay. Not okay. That's 70, <laughs> you got me there. That 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, Big Bad Stupid Lung Cancer. Joining us, Dr. Nathan Pennell. He's a board-certified oncologist from the Towson Cancer Institute at the Cleveland Clinic, the renowned Cleveland Clinic, and Kate Brown. She's director of support and advocacy at the renowned Longevity Foundation. And in the Survivor Spotlight, Matthew Kisney, he's a young adult lung cancer survivor, and he's a second-year med student at the University of Toledo. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, also known as the MT Young for this Cancer Foundation, online at stupidcancer.org. We are not your father's cancer society, but we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So, welcome aboard another fun and exciting Rob of Hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure, and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes. Download us for free every week automatically. Broadcast tonight is live, as always, from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And as a final reminder, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat room during each and every broadcast. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And with that, our... Self-ingratiating weekly uh, applause to ourselves. Yes, we love it. I'm going to stand up and take a bow. Yes. You can sit down now, Lisa. Thanks. That was Mr. <laughs> Kenny. Hi, Kenny. How are you? How hey, are Kenny. you tonight? Mr. Kenny, I'm well, thank you. And uh, Reverend Dr. James Manning, as always. I'm here. Our what prestigious. What's your title these days? Whatever, it, whatever. It, it just changes every day. Chief protagonist? How's that? Sure. There you go. <laughs> That's nice. I'm boxed out of the chat room. What's going on? Oh, no one likes Lisa you anymore. You have to log in. I had to log in. 
Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, why was I logged out? Yeah, well, I was guests tonight. 25 guests in the chat room. We good do. Evening. Good evening, everyone. You can register uh, with Blog Talk Radio and sign in and chat there, with us. That's, that's why I'm anxious <laughs> to get back Facebook? in that. Isn't it Facebook? Can't you connect with you Facebook? You can. I'm anxious to get back in that chat room. That's and it's a thing it's called Facebook. blocked me out. Face what? Here we go. Face space. Face space. It's a new uh, social network. Exactly. Remember me on this computer. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, uh, it'll never look. I would say the big news (laughs) this week was the announcement about the toxicity of caramel color in Coca-Cola and Pepsi products. Lisa, wild. We're all going to drop dead tomorrow. That's it. Everything. Good night, everybody. Yes. (laughs) That's why my business cards say precancerous. (laughs) Right. That's tonight's show. It's a race it's, against the clock. Right. Well, we did a show recently, last season, called Everything Causes Cancer, about yeah. the environment, and they're going to talk about that at the uh, the summit, how no, you can do your best to try, but everything is going to kill you at some point. So listen to this. I'd like to just read this, though, because I found a study from uh, January of 2008 about the toxicity and carcinogenicity of... Well, that was an SAT word. Thank you. Um, I think I got that right. Uh, for, so, so what this cancer-causing agent is, it's called 4-MI, or the full name, and this I'm really going to butcher, 4-methylimidazole. Gesundheit. Yes. So this is, let, let me just read this to you. Now, this is, obviously folks have known about this for years. This is 2008. 4-MI is used in the manufacture of pharmaceuticals, photographic chemicals, dyes and pigments, cleaning and agricultural chemicals, and rubber. It has been identified as a byproduct of fermentation in foods and has been detected in mainstream and sidestream tobacco smoke. This is what we've been drinking in Coke and Pepsi. For the last 40 years. Yeah. Fantastic. Again, good night, everybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> nice knowing you. Nice knowing you. Yeah. So but now, of course, what I love, of course, is the PR folks and the companies who just say, you know, because God forbid this is going to be like new Coke. Right. You know, it is everything's going to taste. We're going to take all this bad stuff out, but everything's going to taste the same. And don't worry about it. This is the part that bothers me when people want less government. Like, I know we need government to do this because yes. corporations Thank would you. never remove this crap unless the government said so. Couldn't agree with you more. What would Ron Paul say about this? Ooh. What would Ron Paul say about this? Well, he's he would for not, no government. He's for, I was going to say he's for no government, so right. he would, you know. We choose to die when we drink the Coke. He'd say goodnight, everybody. He'd join us. Just drink clear liquid, water, vodka. I mean, I like the guy's philosophies on a a bunch of ideas, but the idea of having no regulation, no government, it's extremist. I know. The idea that it falls, oh, you can't take away people's people's free will. People can decide. Come on. Yeah, I know. Don't put salads in McDonald's because that's interfering with corporate policy. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, that's our mission to kill you. The right to do whippets. Yeah. Oh God, Kenny, you told me about a drink that's like pickle juice or something. What's that about? It's a pickleback. It's a, it's Jameson followed by pickle juice. There's none of that trihex fenno. <laughs> it's whatever. natural way it to is. die. Right. It is fantastic. <laughs> the Irish way. But I mean, again, it's just it, it's astonishing that you know we um, we live in an age where like we need to tell the corporations you can't do this. Right. You think they're drinking their own products? You got to wonder about that. They are. Yeah, they, yeah. Of course they are. Yeah, I do. But, you know. <laughs> Good answer. So. Good answer. They bathe in it. So wine and beer are now healthier than Coke and Pepsi. 
Which is fortunate considering how much we talk about wine and beer. Well, <laughs> plus they talked about uh, high, high fructose corn syrup is like so much worse than regular sugar. Well, right. And a lot yeah. of the soda brands are going back to regular cane sugar from, from HFCS. Well, sure. The, the, the big problem with that is it's now all made in China, and the way that they make it in China, it introduces mercury. So you don't know what you're getting when you're getting high fructose corn syrup. It right. could be made in Japan. It could be made in Oklahoma. We Wait, don't know. Do they grow the corn in China? Well, or the corn ship China made syrupy. That's and then it. We don't know. We don't it doesn't know. matter. Anything that says made in China, you run the other way. That is quality. <laughs> that is super well, quality. Well, the sad thing is these are two ingredients that we know about, but how many thousands of ingredients are in these generic terms on this ingredient label? I mean, you see caramel color. What else is in there? We just have no way of knowing. Citric acid and polysorbate and... Probably hundreds of other things. Right. It's yeah. kind of the same thing with prescription drugs. I mean, I'd say that half of the coin is the actual ingredient, and then the other half is all the stuff that makes the pill itself. Right, right. This so. is also exhausting. I mean, I you know the fact that I have to buy shampoo that doesn't have parabens in it. I'm, I right. spend like 20 hours at the grocery store now right. looking over every label so I don't get methyl parabens and blah, blah, blah. You, you have know, to shop in, at the stores where everyone's armpits stink. In, <laughs> in Paris? <laughs> in Paris. We just lost France as a sponsor, damn it. <laughs> Sorry, French people. <laughs> we don't, right, well, we don't but, want them anymore. Before we get to Matt, I, Kenny has a major announcement to make. Kenny! Uh oh. Well, I've. Uh, Where's the drum roll, Matthew? Um, I, I've felt this way my whole life. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> Kenny, Kenny was born this way. Right, no, born, born this gay. Um, we are very happy and excited to announce that uh, myself, along with John Sabia from Hillside Media, the man behind all of our promotional videos, will be driving a 2012 Turbo Volkswagen Beetle Ow! to the OMG Summit, stopping in 10 cities across the country uh, where we have large active chapters, and we will be getting down on our way to the OMG Summit. This is a big deal. And the name of this excursion? It is the Stupid Cancer Road Trip, accessible on the Internet via stupidcancerroadtrip.org. And your your car's going to be tricked out, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's totally tricked out. Tell us about it. Uh, so it's a white Beetle, and it's got the OMG logo on the side. Come on, how sweet is that? On the doors. Oh, the it's, a wrapped, it's a wrapped Stupid Cancer OMG Summit uh, along Beetle. Along with stupidcancer.org on the hood. Yes. And it's also featuring uh, the hashtag, which is VW DOS Road Trip. Yes. This is awesome. We're this very is major awesome. VW Uber. has partnered with us. Hashtag VW Das Road Trip. Yes. And, and you kick off on? A week from today. So you'll be calling into the show next yes. Monday night. From Fully fr- caffeinated. From the nation's capital. Fantastic. So how many cities again? Ten cities. Ten, Ten cities. Di- and so you're going to meet up with survivors in all the gonna, cities? Yep. So we'll be hitting uh, D.C., Raleigh, Durham, Nashville, New Orleans, uh, heading through Texas via Houston, Austin, and Dallas. And then over to Roswell, Phoenix, L.A., ending in Vegas at the Palms Casino. I love that he's going to Roswell because he's going to get alien cancer survivors when he's there. (laughs) I'm going to say we have the chemotherapy (laughs) from Mars, people. And and Kenny, when you're in Tennessee, it's legal to collect your roadkill and and eat it. So (laughs) you're you're set. (laughs) James Banding with the wind. I'll bring some Frank's Frank's Road Hot. Frank's Red Hot. You kill it, you keep it. That's no. This, that this is epic. The epic journey it's of Kenny Kane uh, and John Sabia. It's going to be uh, that's quality. Kenny across versus the country. John. Kenny versus John versus food. You got a fuzz. <laughs> you got a fuzzbuster in that car. Don't get any tickets. 
<laughs> well, that would be my my luck. Like the first day, we get three speeding tickets right. and have our license. Who's driving? Uh, He's just they're splitting. We're yeah, gonna, we're going to hire. We're going to hire people to. Uh, <laughs> James, are you driving? Hell no. I don't even have a license. <laughs> okay, well that sells it. Well, I mean, Kenny may not. I don't know. Do you? It's uh, it's pending review. No, I'm I'm, I'm totally kidding. I it's have a, a a license that is clear in 49 states. Right. <laughs> yeah, we won't speak about what happened in Arkansas that time. Right. Uh, no. I, I thought I could collect my roadkill. I'll just say that. <laughs> Wrong Legal state. In that state. Wrong state. Wrong state. All right. Well, All let's right. uh, let's get to our first guest here. Me, huh? All of you, Lise. I got him. Matthew Hisney, he was diagnosed with adenocarcinoma of the lung, a form of non-small cell lung cancer, in August of 2011. Matt's currently taking, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, otherwise he'll uh, set me straight, Zalkiri, an oral chemotherapy and gene therapy agent to treat his cancer. He enjoys reading and playing the piano, just like the other Matthew in the room. That would be me. Please, welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Hisney. Matt. Hello. Good evening. Hi, how are you guys? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Matt, did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did, yeah, his name, okay. that's it. And, and is it Zalcory? How do you say that, that drug? Uh, yeah, the, the trade name is Zalcory, and the, the generic, I'm sure you'll probably hear from Dr. Pinnell later, is Crizotnib. Crizotnib. It sounds like yep. a disease itself. Yeah, it's a pretty ugly word. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, anyway, you came highly recommended because you, uh, congratulations, had lung cancer. Yeah, thanks, yeah. <laughs> Check, put that on the resume. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but we want, every now and then we do radio shows on specific diseases as it affects young people because most people don't realize, A, young people get cancer, but B, lung cancer, with its own stigma and its own uniqueness, uh, it, it's really important that the younger generation understand what it is when it affects us in this age group, and we just wanted to have you on to talk about your story, what it was like, and you know, understanding how you live now today uh, with Through and Beyond It. Yeah, thank, sounds good. Thank you very much for having me again. So uh, talk us through uh, your life prior to and, and symptoms and that fabulous moment of, of uh, the big reveal. Well, um, I'm, uh, I'm from a city just outside uh, Youngstown, Ohio, and that's in northeast Ohio. I'm a... Uh, 24 years old, and I uh, graduated from John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio in 2010, and in August 2010, I moved to Toledo, Ohio, and uh, started up at the University of Toledo College of Medicine, so I am in a medical school, and uh, pretty much um, I last summer, I had a summer job at UT uh, doing research, and in about the... Uh, Kind of towards the middle to the end of July, I started to develop this persistent dry cough, and I had like two weeks left of my summer job, and I uh, pretty much said I'll just wait till I uh, go home for my yearly physical. I don't need to rush to a you know a doctor in Toledo. I just have a cough. I figured either my allergies were acting up, or we were having a really hot summer in Toledo, and maybe you know that was contributing to just you know a lot of pollen and things in the air. So I sat and thought nothing of it. And so I, I go back uh, home for uh, the job ended at the end of July. I figured I'd go home for three weeks. Class was going to start up like August 20th or something. So I'd go home for a little bit and then move, you know, come back to Toledo and start school. So I go for my yearly physical and uh, I bring it up with my doctor and he says, well, we'll get a chest x-ray. And uh, I go for the chest x-ray 
and he has me uh, just w- sit in the waiting, uh, sit back in the exam room, and my family doctor comes back in. He says, your, uh, your left lung was a little hazy, and as you know from med school, that's a little unusual. It's supposed right. to be nice and clear and black. So I'm gonna, I want you to go for a, a CT, but I, uh, I'm, I think you may have a disease called sarcoidosis, which is a, like a chronic inflammation uh, of your lungs and your lymph nodes. So I said, okay. Is and, that like uh, pleurisy or something? Or, or Pardon me? Is that like pleurisy? I don't know what's pleurisy. Uh, I think it's inflammation of the lungs. Oh, Quick, yeah, and it might be similar. But, um, you know, like being a med student, like I looked up everything about sarcoidosis, and like I'd have to take uh, steroids for like six months, and I could take them while I'm at Toledo, and I'm like, oh, this isn't the end of the world. This is fine. Deal with this. And so I go for the uh, a CT scan uh, like five days later, and uh it's still the CT comes back. They're still thinking sarcoidosis, um, and then, like three days after that, a lymph node swells up on the left side of my neck, wow. and uh, I go for a um, to get that removed and to be biopsied. And on Wednesday, August seventeenth, two thousand eleven, I went back to the uh, head and neck surgeon, and he was going to take some stitches out and see what you know what the deal with the biopsy was. And that's when I was informed I had uh, cancer. And initially they thought uh, it was Hodgkin's lymphoma, and then as pathology did more staining and more work, they changed the diagnosis to adenocarcinoma of the lung. And how old were you again? 24 years old. And, that, and so adeno, which of course I again botched uh, pronouncing it, <laughs> saying, you know, so adenocarcinoma of the lung, uh, which as we read in your bio, a form of non-small cell lung cancer. So explain for the folks then exactly what that is, Matthew. Okay, yeah, lung cancer, it's divided up um, histologically, which is uh, uh, the when you have a biopsy, the pathologist, the doctor, will uh, a certain special type of doctor will uh, put um, certain chemicals on the cells and they'll be able to determine what type of cancer it is. And lung cancer is divided into non-small cell lung cancer into into small cell lung cancer. And so small cell lung cancer is almost entirely composed of uh, smokers or former smokers. And then non-small cell lung cancer, um, you'll get the non-smokers in there. Non-small cell has a is more prevalent. There's more people that have forms of non-small cell than uh, small cell. Why do they just not call it big cell? I don't know. Good question. Maybe I think Dr. Pinnell could answer that. I haven't thought to uh, ask that one yet. Because <laughs> it'd be obvious. too easy, as I've learned in med school. It right. can never be easy. <laughs> never be easy. So, uh, Yari, you're 24, you get lung cancer. How many people ask you if you smoked? Um, not uh, on, To be honest, not too many people have asked um, that have been my age, I think, just because they know that I, I don't smoke. Right. They haven't asked me, but I, I'm sure they've thought it. Like, if not, you know, uh, did Matt Hisney smoke? Or, uh, you know, oh, you know, I had no idea. You know, Matt smoked. I mean, he must have smoked a ton. So, not too many people have actually come out and directly asked me it. But I can guarantee that they've they've thought it. I mean, I would, uh, I'd think it myself before all this happened. Right, because we have uh, many, many uh, survivors within our national community who are young adult lung cancer, um, have gone through lung cancer, and none of them are smokers. And they've been on the show, and they've told us exactly, they just feel like whether they have been asked it or not, they just feel stigmatized by the nature of the disease. Exactly. I mean, and, yeah, it's, it's you know, and, 
it has that terrible stigma of it's the smoker's cancer. Like you, you know, you were told since day one that you know if you smoke you'll get cancer. So, oh, you smoke you got cancer. Told you so. And no, it's not that case for everybody. <laughs> so, what was your um? Th- did you know in advance how aggressive the therapy was going to be? If surgery, did they talk to you about fertility or anything like that? Um, initially when uh, you know that initial diagnosis was lymphoma, I looked up. You know stuff about lymphoma, and I you know saw that it had a, a pretty good you know uh, survival rate. And then when I switched it to lung cancer, I looked up lung cancer, and it has a pretty you know not the not as good a survival rate. And that that scared me, but I quickly learned that you know uh, you can't you know put all your chips uh, into one corner. But the survival rate each case is uh, unique. But when I went to the Cleveland Clinic, um, and you know they told me it was it was a uh, you know, stage four, and, you know, I asked, you know, well, why can't we, you know, uh, we operate on it, and they said, it's it's kind of too large an area, we'll, we'll hack you up, and, like, why can't we do radiation, they said, it's it's too large an area, there's too many other effects, and um, they said, we're just going to have to do traditional chemotherapy was the plan, and I just, you know, I knew chemo was rough, I didn't, I decided after I'd done some looking on the internet, you know, my mother said, don't, stay away from the computer anymore. Don't, you know, mentally knock yourself out of the game before you even need to. Um, So I knew it was going to be rough. I did not know um, what my stage was. I asked to not know it. I've since found out what it was after, um, you know, later down the line I asked what my stage was, but I didn't initially want to know anything about what it was. Yeah. Was that out of plain fear? Uh, Yeah, I just didn't want to mentally... I know so much of it is a mind game, and I didn't want to have my mind just totally, you know, want to give up to it. I wanted to still have that that fighting attitude, and yeah, definitely it was it was out of fear. It was, I mean, it's terrifying to be told you know you have cancer, and just you know be told you have lung cancer when, like you said, like I said earlier, you you never smoked, you kind of like did it all right, and you still ended up getting it. Yeah, I was terrified. Yeah, I actually I'm looking at a picture of you on online, Matt. Actually, of uh, your mom uh, uh, giving you a kiss. It's a s- sweet shot uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that I found, which is really nice. So, talk to talk about. I mean, your family support and having that fear and how you kind of work through it. I mean, other than obviously, which I totally understand, not wanting to know certain things like the stage. Um, uh, how did you? How were you able to sort of propel yourself emotionally and and emotionally and and psychologically? And how much of that was was your family as I as I look at this photo of the two of you, the sweet shot of the two of you together? Yeah, it was that was a photo that was in the the local the Youngstown Vindicator newspaper like two weeks ago on Sunday. I was on the the front page, my whole story, and they did a wonderful job. And yeah, that photo was on the front page. But um, a my family and you know my family and, and friends were uh, a huge part in helping me cope and just making me feel comfortable. Um, I mean, I always have been a uh, a religious person and so I knew that I needed uh, you know God really had to help me out with this one And yeah. um, but my family I mean you know the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life was my mom was with me the morning I was I told I was told I had cancer but to have to call my father at work and call my sister who goes to school at John Carroll where I went in Cleveland and mm-hmm. call my girlfriend who goes to Ohio State uh, in Columbus, Ohio, and and sit my little brother down, who's a junior in high school, and you know 
tell them I had cancer and have to call my, you know, old roommates and good friends from high school and college and uh, medical school. It was just, uh, you know, I hope I, it's, it was a terrible thing to have to do, but they, so many people in my family uh, really came through uh, for me. Uh, you know, it's the the town I live in is called Poland, and it's a it's a small town. And you know, kind of when you're in high school, everyone kind of complains about small town life, and I can't wait to get out of here. But you know, the small town I live with live in just pulled through big time. We got like around you know 200 get well cards, and people were cooking us dinner, and oh, everywhere great. anyone in my family would go, awesome. and, you know, oh my God, how's how's Matt doing? I haven't, you know, I've, I kind of heard this, but I didn't know, and didn't want to know this and it was amazing especially with you know things like social media today and you know having to finally uh you know post on facebook you know i i changed my uh, profile picture to the white ribbon of lung cancer awareness and said i've been diagnosed with lung cancer and how it just spread like wildfire and people i haven't you know talked to since i graduated high school six years ago and you know i haven't seen in a long time just kind of came back in and it really you know, it gave me some comfort that so many people were caring and, and thinking about me and, you know, pulling for me to, to win. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what about in terms of, I guess, the doctors, I mean, they haven't offered anything to you in terms of how they thought this this might have come about in you? I mean, anything with family health history or any explanation uh, at all? Probably not, right? Uh, no, yeah, there's no history of cancer in my family. Um, yeah, no one has... Uh, died of cancer on my mother or my father's uh, family history, so I'm the yeah. first to get it, and uh, it's just, you know, maybe, I don't know if Dr. Pinnell can shed that light a little bit later, who's my oncologist, but uh, right. when he's when he's on the show, but uh, we just know that I have a a, spe- a specific mutation that occurred in my lungs, the, the a gene that's called uh, anaplastic lymphoma kinase, or ALK for short, got mutated, and that caused the lung cancer, and then the Zalcori, the medicine I'm on, the reason um, it works is because it actually shuts off that ALK gene, and it stops the cancer from uh, from continuing to form. So that's, I don't know how it happened, um, or when, you know, that's a question I've gotten lately is, well, were you born with this? Um, you know, did you have it all along? Because I ran track and cross country in high school and so many people were you know again very shocked that you used your lungs so much right you know when you were running and everything and then you ended up getting lung cancer it was just kind of another weird piece to the puzzle yeah um, so, so, so here you uh, are yeah, I, even i don't know if i was born with it or, or when it occurred or anything like that i i couldn't tell you but i just know that that's why the the Zalcori worked has worked right so i, was I have say, that so, mutation so here you are seven months after your diagnosis yeah, and uh, so this medication is a bit of a miracle. Uh, it's a it's a huge miracle. It was it was um, FDA approved the same day I was diagnosed with lung cancer. Well, there you go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's pretty Amazing. serendipitous. If I've you know if I've ever heard of perfect timing, that's it. <laughs> that yeah. would be perfect timing indeed. Yeah, because as I you know later found out, uh, it was you know. Uh, I would have been far too sick because my stage was so advanced to ever go into clinical trial. So it was, again, perfect timing. So, again, the, the drug itself is complemented by additional chemotherapy, or it's just that pill you take? That's all I take. Um, before I uh, knew I had this mutation, um, they had to uh, send um, some of my lymph node to the West Coast, and it took two weeks for them 
to confirm I had a, if I had the mutation or not. And so on September 1st, I was to begin uh, chemo, traditional IV chemotherapy um, in the meantime at the Cleveland Clinic. And on September 1st, I ended up uh, a lot of fluid was building up in my lungs, and I, the, the chemo got postponed. I was admitted to the Cleveland Clinic. I ended up coding twice, and I was in the ICU for 17 days and in the hospital altogether 21 days. But in that meantime, on September 5th, I was given traditional chemo, and then September 9th, I found out I had the mutation, and I started the Zalcori on September 10th. So two days ago was the yeah, six-month anniversary of starting Zalcori. Awesome. Awesome. How's your quality of life? You still playing piano and doing other things that you love to do? Yeah, I mean, I that was a, a suggestion of my mother when, you know, I had to I haven't moved I haven't lived at home in you know, the six years or whatever, and was kind of bored. And she said, why don't you? Uh, I played saxophone in high school, and she said, why don't you uh, learn piano? And eventually, uh, after she kind of kept bugging me about it, I said, okay, sure. And yes, yeah, so I've been playing piano, and my quality of life is it's pretty much a uh, it's back to normal. There's nothing. Uh, there's very few things I uh, I, I can't do. Uh, you know, I kind of view it as uh, the initial plan with the chemo before I went on Zalcori was to have six sessions of chemo every three weeks apart. And so my sixth session of chemo would have been in January. And, you know, by November, November 10th actually is the day I was told my cancer was gone. And so I kind of view, view it as like I'm on bonus time now. I'm feeling better ahead of schedule. I was just, you know, went to a Cleveland this last weekend to see my old roommates, and, you know, I'm going on vacation next week, so I, I'd say, yeah, it's back to normal. I'll be moving back to Toledo this summer and starting my second year of med school in August, so Great. It's, all, it's all going well. Well, Matt, you are an incredible success story. We want to keep you on the line when we bring out uh, Dr. Pennell. Uh, would you mind holding for a few minutes so we no can get through the news? All right, so uh, Matt Hisney, everybody, uh, get a big applause for this amazing, miraculous lung cancer story. Matt, we're going to put you on hold, and we get to the news. Okay. All right, thanks. All right, it is time for the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. During this part of the stupid cancer show, we announce to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we do not want you missing out on. They're all free. And they're all just for young adults affected by cancer. Things like conferences, happy hours, road trips, retreats, hiking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-up support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you would like us to spread the word about during this part of the show, please send us an email, info at stupidcancer.com. That's info at stupidcancer.com. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com. That's where you're going to find out everything that you need to know about our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. What's going on, Kenny? Oh, wow. There's not much going on. <laughs> He's uh, napping. I am napping. I'm asleep at the wheel. Yep. Um, hopefully not, not in the yeah. Uh, yeah. Not the road trip. Uh, we have a lot of stupid cancer happy hours coming up in uh, D.C., North Carolina, uh, Nashville, New Orleans, Austin, Dallas, Roswell with Alien, <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona, L.A., and finally the OMG Summit in Las Vegas, Nevada. All leading up to. All leading up to OMG. Matt, you want to tell us about the forums? Yes. The Stupid Cancer Forums have more than 2,500 active members 
This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com. Sign us today with one click through Facebook. Team Stupid Cancer has five slots left for the big 2012 ING New York City Marathon. That's the biggie. That's the longie. 20, what is it? 26 points. Two something. something 20, yeah, I think it's 26.2. Something like that. You know what it is. It's a New York City Marathon, people. Awesome. You, know what you know what I'm talking about. Five slots left. Don't miss your chance to be a part of our inaugural team for this prestigious race. Email info at stupidcancer.com. That's info at stupidcancer.com for more details. And finally, the fifth annual OMG Cancer Summit is but two and a half weeks away. Big gulp. We are all but sold out, and there is a waiting list, but we're still receiving cancellations, and it's entirely possible that if you sign up today, you will get to go to the hippest event in all of Cancerland. Join 500 of your fellow young adult survivors at the Palms Hotel Casino Resort in Las Vegas and get busy living at the most highly anticipated, as I said this before, the highly anticipated healthcare event of 2012. Says us. Says us. Says Lisa. Absolutely. And that is your, your Stupid, stupid cancer, cancer News. All right. Sorry that I was on satellite delay for the, <laughs> the event. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. Let's uh, Rick roll these hairs. Dr. Nathan Pennell. All right, Lisa, go ahead. I got him. Dr. Nate. Dr. Pennell is a board-certified medical oncologist who joined the staff of the Towsick Center Institute, Cancer, Cancer Institute at the Cleveland Clinic in 2008. He specializes in the treatment of thoracic malignancies with a focus on lung cancer and in 2010 was appointed the director of the TCI Lung Cancer Medical Oncology Program. Dr. Pennell's research includes clinical trials using novel therapies with the goal of facilitating the movement of new treatments from the laboratory to the clinic. Dr. Nathan Pennell. Hi, how are you? Again, in our show of, of mispronunciation, Pennell or Pennell? Pennell. Pennell. Okay, we need like graves all the time in our... <laughs> <In our bios. laughs> it's a real pleasure to have you on the show and to hear Matt's story and, and have you, you know, you are his doctor. Uh, really, really impressive, incredible uh, therapies going on in the world of lung cancer. Uh, I guess my question to you is we hear a lot about, you know, lung cancer is entirely underfunded. Um, can you talk to us about that? Is that a stigma? Is that really true? Are all cancers underfunded or is, you know, a medicine, you know, like, um, like Zalcori, an example of how uh, we can really look at more targeted therapies that impact more people? Well, uh, lung cancer is relatively underfunded compared to the other major cancers, um, partly because it's such a major uh, public health issue. There are more people all over the world who die from lung cancer than pretty much the next several most common cancers combined. And so when you look at that impact, uh, the relative level of funding of research is much lower than, say, breast cancer or prostate cancer. And a lot of that does have to do with the stigma associated with lung cancer. You know, everyone thinks that you don't get lung cancer unless you smoke. And as everyone who listens to your show knows, that's not true. Right. Worldwide, about one in four people with lung cancer has never smoked. So it's a huge issue. Um, but overall, I think cancer is underfunded anyway. Um, you know, we're making tremendous strides and tremendous progress, and uh, I wish, you know, that got quite as much attention in the press as some of the, uh, the other political issues that are going around. Right. Um, we are making tremendous progress, though, with therapies like the Zalcori that Matt is on. Um, part of this is because we're really understanding a lot more of how lung cancer is, uh, is caused and the different types of lung cancer. 
although, as Matt pointed out, it's split into small cell and non-small cell. That's kind of a silly way of naming things. Right. In fact, there's, there's probably dozens of different types of lung cancer that have specific causes, and we're starting to piece those out and actually develop treatments like the Zalcori uh, that are very effective for the specific type of lung cancer, and you know, that's really going to be the future. Well, we, how many types of uh, lung cancers are there, actually? Well, uh, you know, if you just split them by sort of the genetic changes, you know, you can identify dozens of different types. In terms of ones that we actually have a potential treatment for, right now there's only a couple um, that we have treatments like the Zalcori for. The rest of them kind of get mashed together still in the non-small cell group. But we already have identified at least a half dozen or eight or ten different types for which there are drugs that are being tested in clinical trials. And I would anticipate that five years from now, there's going to be at least a half dozen more types like Matt's type of lung cancer. So would Zalcori fall into like an epigenetic type of, of treatment? No, actually, it it, uh, it does a very specific thing. It's called a tyrosine kinase inhibitor, and um, it basically mimics the molecule that um, proteins need in order to function called ATP. Uh, it's kind of like the little power pack that powers sure. proteins. And uh, it mimics that. bio is flashing kind of, through my head. Right, and so it sticks in the part of the protein where the ATP sticks uh, on the, the ALK protein, and that's the protein that's gone wacko and, and driving uh, the cancer to grow. And so by kind of sw- it kind of sits in the power pack and switches it off so it doesn't work anymore. So the existing, and Matt's still on the line here, so the existing cancer, does that get, like, absorbed back into the body, or are there ways to treat that, or are you just going to live with it? Well, so it's, that's a great question, and it's, it's, it's clear that the majority, 99.9% of the cancer died almost immediately because this medicine basically turned off what was keeping it alive. But for some reason, these targeted drugs in the situation like lung cancer doesn't seem to get rid of 100% of the cancer cells. There's probably some still there, uh, which are uh, thought to be what are called stem cells, that are not, uh, they may be kept dormant by the medicine, but for whatever reason, if you stop taking it, they often, it will grow back again. And so it's more of a chronic disease rather than um, uh, something that can be completely gotten rid of, so, at least right now. Hopefully that won't always be true. Now, we're... Uh, is this something where members of Matt's family could get gene tested? Is this something that could come out? I mean, he's not a smoker, but environmentally, in some ways, I mean, what's the kind? Is there any? What's the kind of research around? You know, kind of where this comes from and what brings it out? You know, that's a good question. The reality is that probably only somewhere between three and five hundred people in the entire world have ever been diagnosed with this specific kind of cancer. So I think it's still a little wow. too early to say um, exactly what the risk factors are for the, the ALK-positive lung cancer. Um, we know that it doesn't seem to be tobacco smoke, but there are other known risk factors, things like radon and heavy metals. And, um, you know, in parts of the world like Asia, um, a large number of people who develop lung cancer have never smoked. And so it's clear that there are other things, uh, environmental pollutants, that, that cause that. It doesn't seem, as far as we can tell, to be inherited. And so it, I don't think that Matt's family needs to worry about being at higher risk for lung cancer than anyone else. Um, now, smoking-associated lung cancer definitely is an inherited uh, susceptibility. And so if you have a member of your family 
with lung cancer who was a smoker, then you should never smoke because you are at much higher risk of getting lung cancer if you're exposed to that risk factor. And you said, I'm sorry, you said there were three to 500 in the world who've been diagnosed with this type of lung cancer? Well, it was only discovered as a type of lung cancer in 2007. Right. And so, you know, the, the time frame between when this was first discovered and just a few cases to today has been a very short period of time. Yeah. The drug was actually approved based on only 250 people. Um, in the United States, and so it's, uh, it's it's still very new. Well, I was going to ask, like, it's, it's a totally an orphan disease. Has has it been determined that, like Zalcori or other other um, sort of indications in the pipeline, could be applicable to other types of lung cancer or other cancers in general? Well, there are some other types of cancer that Zalcori might work on. Uh, you know, it's called ALK because that stands for anaplastic lymphoma kinase. It was actually discovered originally in a rare type of lymphoma. Any of you who watch baseball might recognize the name John Lester, who's a pitcher sure. from the Boston Red Sox. Boston Red Sox, yeah. Um, oh. You know, young guy in his 20s who had, um, you know, an aggressive lymphoma that was cured with chemotherapy. But um, that's the that's the cancer that this was named after. And so, and there's a, some rare sarcomas of the skin that have it as well. Um, as far as we know, those are probably the only ones that the ALK is directly involved in, at least right now. So for now, it's it's going to be mostly used in the lung cancer world. So I, I want to bring Matt back on because uh, Dr. Pinnell, obviously he's he was in his 20s uh, when he was diagnosed. How often do you see patients in their 20s with lung cancer? Oh, gosh, I think I've had three or four patients. You know, I see about 200 lung cancer patients a year, new lung cancer patients, and the average age of in the United States of someone with lung cancer is 70. So average, um, wow. average, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, when I when I see a young person with lung cancer, I think of someone who's you know 55. <laughs> Every once in a while, I see someone in their 40s. Um, but you know, it's very rare to see someone in their 20s. And I would say, you know, Matt is definitely the youngest patient I've ever had. So Matt, how does that make you feel? <laughs> Yay! You're a champ. <laughs> You're a hero. No, I mean, it's horribly unfair that, that anyone would get this disease, but uh, certainly um, that someone so young should get stricken with this is, is, is not fair. And the symptoms, I've never heard. I mean, you think about lung cancer, and, and, and again, it's so rare for a young person, and it's for what they have to go through and the treatments to, to get through it. It's really, I never hear of anything really more than a cough, as Matt said. I mean, a, a sort of dry cough. Is that mm-hmm. typically the case where somebody just comes in and they have a nagging, a nagging oh, sure. cough? I mean, yeah, that's clearly the most common symptom of lung cancer. Yeah. You can't see your lungs from the outside, and they yeah. don't hurt. And so you can't really feel your lungs when there's something going on in them. So it really, uh, unfortunately, right now is when it becomes uh, most of the time too advanced to operate and remove it by the time it causes symptoms. And since it usually gets big enough to cause a blockage in the lungs, that irritates the lungs and you end up with a cough. So I very commonly we'll see someone who's been treated for a pneumonia or a bronchitis for months and months, and then finally someone bothers to do a chest X-ray and picks it up. All right. Now, now again, going back to the idea that, you know, nothing, that Matt is a, a young adult, we actually had, a, had the, uh, the Cleveland Clinic on the radio show last December. We had Trent Thomas and Aaron Shaw and mm-hmm. Scott Hamilton representing the, 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 just the larger ethos of, of the hospital. Uh, but we talked about the Fourth Angel Mentor Program as sort of a resource for teens and young adults. Um, we, are you aware of that, Dr. Pinnell? And, Matt, did you uh, ever get plugged into that system? No, I'm not. 
it's a really amazing um, uh, platform they developed. It basically lets uh, survivors, teen and young adult survivors, and as they get older, I guess, long-term young adult childhood survivors, connect directly peer-to-peer, one-to-one with other newly diagnosed patients of either the same age or the same ilk or the same cancer. And uh, we're really impressed by that because we're really all about communities and making sure that young adults don't go unaware of, of support resources. And, uh, again, a, a, a tip of the hat to Cleveland Clinic for having this this, um, this program in place. Again, it just goes back to the rare the rare nature of how often do you actually see a young adult and then sort of the how do you know to deal with them as a 20-something instead of a, a 70-something. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a, you're right. That's a great program, and um, I think I try to get our social worker involved in all the new patients that I see, and they try to tell them about the resources available. There there aren't as many people with lung cancer in that program as there are of a lot of other diseases. And to be honest, this is a symptom of a larger issue with lung cancer, uh, not so much young adults with lung cancer, but um, – the, the stigma that is seen by the public is also felt by the patients in a lot of ways, and there, in many ways there's a lot of shame associated with it and guilt. And um, there is not the big uh, feeling of community and patient organization and advocacy out there for lung cancer that there exists for some of the other diseases like breast cancer and prostate cancer. Sure. And we need people like Matt who are really dedicating themselves to getting the message out that, you know, this is... This does exist. This is a big problem. It's not my fault. You know, it's not associated with smoking in his case, and, you know, we need to get people aware of it. We have a question here from our uh, our in- intern, James. <laughs> Dr. Pinnell, my question is slightly off topic, but I think you'll understand the relevancy. My understanding is, uh, as a doctor at Cleveland Clinic, you're salaried, correct? That's correct. How does that affect the way you treat a patient? Is it any different than the hospitals in which you did your fellowship and residency, and even more so for a cancer patient? You know, that's a great question. And, and I uh, no, the truth is that I've never worked in a system where the doctors were not salaried. I was trained at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, and and, uh, and then I spent a year working at Massachusetts General Hospital, and, and all of the doctors there are salaried. And um, so what that means is Nothing that I do uh, in treating a patient affects how much money I get paid, and that's true for all the doctors at the Cleveland Clinic. It really doesn't matter. We are free to practice medicine in the way that is best for the patient without being concerned about whether our compensation is in any way related to that. And so I think that um, allows us to be more cost-effective, which I think is important in the, uh, the healthcare system right now and the way costs are sort of rising out of control and, um, you know, I, I'm happy to not have that uh, worry in my mind about billing and having to, uh, you know, give that one last dose of chemotherapy or get the PET scan that, you know, increases the revenue of my business. So let's let's talk about the irony of Matthew being a young adult who wants to go become a physician, gets cancer, survives cancer. Has this, are you not scared of being a doctor now, or are you, like, more emphatically passionate than ever about being a doctor? I can't wait. <laughs> I, I cannot well, wait to become a doctor. I went back to a, to Toledo in February and told my story to my medical school class, and yeah, I, I said that, and I, I cannot wait to, uh, you know, to help someone uh, someday. Like you know, Dr. Pinnell helped me, and I, I still want to, uh, 
you know, keep my mind open about what specialty I want to go to just in case something else comes along, but it's pretty hard to not see myself being an oncologist after everything. We've had so we've had a lot of uh, uh, young adults come on the show who've specifically chosen careers in the medical field after they've been diagnosed, right. understandably so, as as to what you're uh, similar to how you're feeling. Okay, so last quick question before we got to end the uh, end the interview here. This has been really fantastic and very informative. Uh, the the yeah, going back to the stigma of lung cancer, you know, obviously Lisa mentioned this before, like coughing and symptomatics. Uh, I, I saw here that there are lung cancer screenings out there. What would make somebody feel inclined to go get a lung cancer screening? Is that something that we can see down the road being part of a sort of an annual checkup uh, standard of care? I certainly hope so. For the first time in 2011, we actually do have evidence now that screening for lung cancer can prevent deaths from lung cancer. However, the screening that has been proven to help is its CAT scans of the chest. So chest x-rays have been shown that they don't identify lung cancer soon enough to help. But uh, CAT scans, but this was only done in people between the ages of 55 and 75 who had smoked for at least 30 years. Okay. So they're trying to squeezes many people who are at risk for lung cancer into the most cost-effective package. Sure. And so the reality is today, even if we were actually doing this screening, someone like Matt would never have been asked to do this because, you know, there's, there, no one would ever have guessed that he could have gotten lung cancer. And you, you can't scan all 300 million Americans every year looking for uh, with a CAT scan. So the truth is, though, in the future, we're going to have blood tests who are going to be in, or breath tests. That's something we're working on at the Cleveland wow. Clinic, looking at exhaled breath to see if we can identify cancer. So there will be cheaper, easier, less harmful, and more accurate screening tests for lung cancer, and that eventually is hopefully what's going to prevent this from happening. And, and one more quickly before we go. So the, the, the Zalkyrie, is that something that, Matthew, you stay on? How, how long, actually, well, Dr. Pinnell, does, does Matt stay on that drug? As long as it continues to work. Yeah, yeah. It's indefinite. And the side effects are sound like they're fairly minimal to you, Matt? Um, yeah, there's there's like no side effects. <laughs> yeah. You grew a third to, arm. You know, the other chemotherapies. That yeah. I've, I've had very few problems. Nice. He grew a third arm, but he's playing the piano, so it actually comes in handy. And he's going to Right. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for being on the show. Cleveland Clinic is amazing, and uh, you got a great story, uh, Matt. And you are, you know, you, your story needs to be told. And again, we 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 do a show about lung cancer maybe once or twice a year, and everyone has even more uh, excitement and progress. So, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, Dr. Nathan Pinnell and uh, Matthew Hisney. All right, thanks, thanks very much. All right, let's get right to it here. Uh, let's do this one again. Returning champion to the Stupid Cancer Show, Katie Brown is the Director of Support and Advocacy for Longevity Foundation. She's a cancer survivor herself. She's been a lung cancer advocate for nine years, a former cancer caregiver as well. Uh, she was the creator of Longevity's Lung Cancer Support Community and a social media professional managing the foundation's social media efforts. Please welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, Katie Brown. Hey, Katie. Hi. Hi there. Hi, how are you? We are so happy Great. to have you back on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. You're on tour now, right? Aren't you like somewhere in, in uh, <laughs> Not Home? Not home, South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And how's oh, that going great. for you? 
It's madness. We had three days of torrential rain, but oh, I saw sun today. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Kenny Kane is incredibly jealous of you. <laughs> Hi, Katie. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Not bad. So you've been listening to the show. Uh, we had a really great uh, conversation with uh, Dr. Nathan Pinnell and one of the young adult lung cancer survivors, Matthew Hisney. Amazing progress that I was unaware of about this, you know, sort of this um, this Zalcori medication, which came from a lymphoma drug, and now it was applied to this sort of rare orphan lung cancer disease. Um, tell us about longevity and um, how you guys came to be and what sort of separates you from the pack. Well, Longevity is the largest private funder of lung cancer research in the United States. Last year we funded $2 million just in 2011, and um, we're, we're interested in funding early detection and therapeutic agents, very much like the Zalcori or um, a Tarsiva. So that's what we do. We're looking for... Um, you know, ways to invest in research that, uh, you know, we work with top lung cancer experts to identify promising and innovative research to try to um, find more treatments and, and an early, an effective early detection method for lung cancer. We also have the largest grassroots lung cancer support network, and um, we have uh, a lifeline support partner system where we match peer-to-peer -peer lung cancer survivors to patients and caregivers to other family members. And um, we just, we, we were working really hard for those affected by lung cancer. And you're a cancer survivor yourself. I am. 16 years in May, and I am a cervical cancer survivor. Wow, yeah. <laughs> you get the big applause. Ah, oh, thanks. You're, you're, you're right neck and neck with, uh, with Matthew and, 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 and I and me. And you. Both 16 years 16 out. 16 years. We yep. set our own club. Sixteen-year club. Yeah, <laughs> the club nobody wants to belong to. <laughs> right, exactly. But yeah. we're we're glad we're here. Exactly. Right. So right. I mean, again, I go back to this this idea that you know Matthew was a young adult with lung cancer. You are a young adult affected by cancer. Uh, Lisa and I, of course, and James. So the, the uniqueness of getting lung cancer at 24 puts you in a whole new world of stigma. Um, but it sounds like the research. Do you think like the people are getting it that that the research is is finally getting attention and that is somehow you know lung cancer is not a death sentence and you don't have to have had bitten a smoker to get this and it happens to all ages I mean it's part advocacy and part progress and it's part science I absolutely believe that but I think it's stories like Matthews. Um, we have a, a spokesperson for longevity. Her name is Heather Garrity. She's 24. Um, and so we we do have quite a bit of under 40s who've been diagnosed with lung cancer, and those are the stories that we're trying to tell so that um, when you think about lung cancer, you're not thinking about um, s someone that's retirement age who may have had an, a lifelong smoking history. You're thinking, this could be me, this could be my sister, this could be my neighbor, and People just sort of stop and listen. They, they they pay attention a little bit more, and they realize that lung cancer needs the funding to be able to have more survivors. And we try to do that through our advocacy, but what I've found is, is extremely effective is telling those stories, blogging about those stories, videoing those stories, having those stories in the media, and having those stories on shows like yours. Tell us about if folks want to get involved with longevity. I see on your website you've got all kinds of events that you do. How do you get people involved? What, what are those? Uh, talk about some of those events specifically. 
we have incredible ways for people to get involved with longevity, whether you want to be a support partner, whether you want to learn how to be an advocate through our link-up program, whether you want to attend event or whether you want to volunteer for event. If you go to our website, www.longevity.org, we have um, specific information there on each of the resources that we have. And you can also go to our events and uh, check your state. And we have almost 75 events nationwide and um, they're actually very hope-filled celebrations. And we definitely have folks there who are remembering lost loved ones and celebrating those lives, but it really is about raising the money for research and celebrating just being together and celebrating survivorship. So what other, what, what other like, drugs do, are there in the pipeline right now that have sort of the same potential, you know, as, uh, as the Zalcori I mean, obviously, that's only effect. It was he, Dr. Pinnell said it was approved based on 200 patients, and like less than 300 get it a year. What about the other 300,000, 400,000 people, you know, that are diagnosed? Right. Um, unfortunately, they're taking a lot of the same chemotherapy combinations that they've been using for the past 30 years. Um, I know when my dad was diagnosed, he had four options. Of course, this was nine years ago, but with his type of lung cancer today, I think there are five options. So um, the, the advancement hasn't been that great, but where we have seen advancements, like with the Zalcori, they've kind of been home runs. Um, there's, there's another drug that was released a few years ago called Tarceva, and again, that's another oral chemotherapy that's targeted, and you have to have an EGFR mutation for that to be able to work. Uh, Zalcori is a targeted therapy, and you have to have the ALK mutation for that to work. So I think that's sort of the path and the road that we're going on. Again, I'm not a researcher. Um, I'm the director of support and advocacy. I'm, I'm the biggest cheerleader. So right. um, that's what I'm hoping. I am hoping for that targeted therapy, and I'm hoping um, that everybody gets, um, when, when they're diagnosed, they get their, their tumor tested, and they can know right away whether or not they qualify for one of these drugs. And just to reiterate, we were talking um, with Dr. Pinnell, too, about uh, the, the frequency of lung cancer and, and how it's and looking at your website here, you make the point that um, it also a lot of people also think it's more of a man's disease than a woman's disease, but that it's the number one cancer killer of women. Absolutely. People don't know that. More women die each year of lung cancer than they do of breast, uterine, and ovarian cancers combined. And what about the research in terms of dividing the sexes? I mean, is it is it is there a particular more common type of lung cancer that does appear in women as opposed to men? You know, that's a great question, and I don't really have an answer to that because I've not read or seen anything like that. Yeah. Um, I do know that there have been some studies that um, m more women tend to do better on certain types of treatments, but um, as opposed to whether they're targeting only women versus men in, in terms of uh, research, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Bring Dr. Pinnell back for that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, again, this sort of brings back the uh, the awesomeness because you guys, again, you, you do fund research, but you do uh, balance advocacy as well. Um, are you able to break that down for us? Break down what we do? Well, no, I mean, it's not like, like you're, you, uh, you are supporting advocacy for longevity, so... Outside of the research, what are the specific things that you do beyond fundraising? 
Oh, absolutely. We have our online lung cancer support community. We have almost 10,000 members, 400,000 postings, and it's 24-hour support, live chat, um, peer-to-peer active message board. We have our um, Longevity Link-Up program, which is our advocacy training. And advocacy within longevity is about raising awareness, raising awareness about lung cancer, raising awareness about longevity, raising awareness about research, and about being your own um, medical advocate. Um, So we don't lobby. There's other organizations that do that and do legislation. We don't do that. But we definitely teach folks, you know, what kind of questions to ask, how to be a medical advocate, how to raise awareness, things like that, how to get involved in events if they want to. Um, We have our Lifeline Support Program where we match uh, patients to survivor support seekers to mentors. And then we have that we just released in November our Longevity Caregiver Resource Center. It's an online resource center that uh, focuses on caregivers because that was really an unmet need. And it really arms caregivers with information on what to expect after their loved one's been diagnosed with lung cancer, questions to ask, issues to consider. Um, it sort of helps them be the healthcare advocate for the patient. And then we have our longevity blog where we have inspirational and hope filled stories from lung cancer patients and from caregivers and advocates almost weekly. I get the sense that you've answered that question before. <laughs> you know, these are all of, I just gave you my job description. <laughs> this is what I do every day. So um, I'm actually so pleased because the progress just in terms of support and compassion and resources for patients from when we I went through this as a caregiver for my dad till now, um, it's absolutely amazing. And, and like, like you guys, I do this every day so that nobody else has to be alone and has to go through this journey alone. So I'm very, very proud of our resources at Longevity, and um, I, I'm very happy to talk about them. <laughs> What, do you have and do you have official relationships with um, cancer care centers out there and and particular experts that uh, folks would know that you that you call upon uh, for advice? Well, we have an incredible at longevity. We have an incredible um, medical and and, and uh, scientific board. Um, we we utilize their their wealth of knowledge all of the time. Um, we do have some great um, outreach partners that that we connect with, that we give brochures to, and we we help support them. Um, there's hospitals that use us for their Lifeline um, Support Buddy program. And um, we we also refer resources because you know nobody can have can can have resources for everything. So yeah. we do refer places and refer resources, and um, we we have partners uh, that way as well. What's the greatest challenge to fundraising? I mean, obviously, when somebody has lung cancer, their loved ones, or they'll go to an organization like yours. But how do you reach out with uh, so many nonprofits, so many cancers, so many illnesses, so many natural disasters, a bad economy, um, and all the rest of it? How do you approach those that are not immediately in the community to make your plea for fundraising purposes? You know, that's, I think that's hard across the board for all nonprofits. Yeah, amen. Tell us about it. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we work from the inside out. Um, mm-hmm. We definitely work those personal connections. We definitely have um, our advocates who have been personally affected reach out to their circles, and it sort of reverberates in that way. Um, I will have to say that in 
differentiating ourselves from other organizations and the amount of funds that we put towards research and the amount, the dedication that we put to supporting lung cancer patients. Um, last year, we we, fun, we raised more money and we funded more research than we ever have, and this is, you know, supposed to be a very bad economy. And yeah. I think what that says is, you know, with 250,000 people diagnosed yearly with lung cancer, something really needs to be done. And um, we're, you know, we're we're showing that we are a responsible, transparent, four-star charity. That all of us who who are on staff have been affected by lung cancer in one way or another, and um, we really really care about what we're doing. So I think that kind of shows in your fundraising. Mm-hmm. But like everybody else, it's very very hard, and we do work from the inside out. And we have an incredible event staff, and we have an incredible. Um, you know, national advocates that are in every state that that volunteer their time to do these events. So, you know, those guys that are listening tonight. Thank you. We love you guys. Nice. And um, it's it it really is working from the inside out. Wonderful. Right. I guess we got to go in a few minutes. But my one of my questions I asked before, and I, I just like to hear people's different responses. Is obviously most cancers are largely underfunded, and lung cancer being the number one uh, cancer in this country with more diagnoses than all the others, pretty much combined. I think. That uh, you know, what's it going to take? Um, well, it's a, it's a double prong question. What's it going to take to get more lung cancer specific uh, uh, research, or is the strategy of genomics, targeted medicine, and uh, sort of epigenetic therapies sort of the the, the cure all for cancers? Because it's not disease specific; it's genetic specific. Um. I- I would hope that it would be the second because that would be m- the most beneficial for everyone across the board. Um, I'm not uh, medically qualified to 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 answer as to the percentage that that would be, but I hope it would be the second one. In the meantime, um, what we can do is we can continue to fund those brilliant minds that are looking for those answers, and we can continue to support the people who are being directly affected by the disease. And we continue to tell stories like Matthews and like, you know, all of the folks that are on the Longevity website and to keep it in the forefront and let people know that this is happening and that, you know, we need help to fund those brilliant minds to get those answers for, for survivors. Well, that's the right answer, and uh, you you say it so eloquently. <laughs> you must do this for a living. <laughs> I do this for a mission. How about that? That's yeah. well said. Yep. Well, thank you once again for coming back on the show. We'll definitely have you back on whenever. If it's lung cancer, it's Katie Brown. There's, there's no doubt Yay. about that. Uh, I don't know when our, cro- our paths will cross. When Kenny, I will see you guys again, maybe at a trade show or something like well, that. Well, you're in, uh, you're in OMG Summit. Are you coming? I'm coming. Oh, of course. All we're, right. We'll see you in Vegas in two, three weeks. All right, yeah. right. I'm not 40 yet, so I still qualify, right? Oh, no, there's the loophole. There's the loophole. Oh, I'm yeah, gonna be, baby. I'm going to be 40 in, uh, and, well, Lisa's over 40, but I'm going to be 40 in two years. Hey. She's, she's not she's, much hey, of a she's she's only four, day over Lisa's 25. 40 and a half. Yep. So the loophole states that so long as you were diagnosed under 40, a young adult survivor forever shall you be. Yay! <laughs> All right. So that's a big plaque on the wall that, that grandfathers me in for life. And maybe we can meet right. up on the road trip as we drive through oh, definitely uh, do Dallas that. and Fort Worth. Definitely do that. Oh, yeah, let me know. All right. For stay, sure. Stay tuned on Facebook. I'll, uh, I'll hit you up. And have fun at South by Southwest. Yes, enjoy South by Southwest and, and the rain. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right, Katie Brown Thanks, from Katie. Longevity. Take care, Katie.
Bye. So, Kenny, I understand that since we announced the road trip at the beginning of the show, uh, you are now been flooded uh, with interest. Hence my silence. <laughs> <laughs> so where are the cities again we're going? Oh, boy. We're doing DC, uh, NYC to D.C., D.C. to Raleigh-Durham, over to Nashville, down to New Orleans, through Houston, Austin, Dallas, stopping in Phoenix to go alien hunting. You mean Roswell. Roswell. Right, right, Roswell. <laughs> Sorry. That, yes. Phoenix D- is different old. kinds of aliens in Phoenix. Right. Phoenix is old people hunting. Okay. Yes. Over to Phoenix. Uh, Didn't mean that, Phoenix. And I love old people. Ending up in L.A. Nice. And then Vegas. Not oh, really. you are going to L.A. and then backtracking yeah. to Vegas. It's it's four hours, so we nice. figured why not. Yeah. So uh, a lot of laundromats. I mean, you can't pack a lot. It's a small car. I'm going to be Johnny Ammerman for two weeks and just have the same shirt every day. Not not, right. not the, the literally the same shirt, but wear the same shirt. Right. Right. I mean, they, you got to stay at hotels and shower, and there'll be laundromats along the way. Yeah, and we'll laundromats, but they can't. We'll just, there's not room we'll for a lot of luggage. We'll go to car washes and get a, a, a three-for-one. <laughs> three nice. I'll spray John. John will spray me, and then we'll spray the car. Like that gasoline fight in Zoolander. I exactly. can just see it now. Fantastic. Very exciting stuff. This is uh, awesome. This is a great show. Yeah. I'm glad. I like when we do lung cancer and, and disease-specific shows because yeah. it just highlights. You know, we are making progress, and I don't say that with any sort of rhetoric or whatever. But like this drug. Made for 200 people in the world. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's 200 people. I love Matt, too. Yeah. What a great kid. He's so great adorable, guy. too. Oh, I yeah? I love that shot of him and his mom. Nice. Good yep. stuff. All right. Well, uh, that's our show. We'll, we'll be back next week, and now it's time for our... Closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, I don't have my script in front of me. What do you think about that? This is show number what, Matthew? 216. You just start rapping, Lisa. We hope you had as much fun as we did, poking a stick of stupid lung cancer. We'd like to thank our guests, Matthew Hisney, Dr. Nathan Pinnell from the Cleveland Clinic, and Kate Brand from Longevity, and in studio here, Kenny Kane and James Manning. Have a good night. All right. Next week, everybody, we will be back next week. Theme of the show, take those GD pills. Take your pills. Patient adherence and compliance. Emily Morrison, she's a young adult brain, can- brain tumor survivor. Alexander Simon joins us. He is a senior producer of events divisions at Frost & Sullivan. Sandra Nelson, she's senior manager of client marketing at Frost & Sullivan as well. In the spotlight, Sue Campa, young adult survivor, Ewing Sarcoma. We're going to talk all about patient adherence and compliance, taking your damn pills. Yeah, take your damn pills, people. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free anytime on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. Good night, everybody.